Well, thanks so much for joining us. We are here today with uh, a fellow by the name of Joe Colangelo. Joe, welcome to Cranford Radio and Transportation Radio. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to be talking about a business that you have that you started up. You are the owner and CEO of a company called Boxcar. It is not something that you find on a freight train. It's a, a bit different. For those who aren't familiar with Boxcar, tell me a little bit about it, please. Boxcar is really focused on improving the suburban commute. Uh, so we do that two main ways right now. One is with parking near train stations where it's historically difficult to park. And the second is with uh, commuter bus service. Uh, we currently offer that into New York City. Commuter bus service isn't necessarily something that's that's unusual. People uh, here in New Jersey take New Jersey Transit every day going into the city. But your service is a bit different. How does it differ from the typical commuter bus run into New York City? Uh, so it starts with your reservation. So you're going to be able to reserve a guaranteed seat on a bus in a town like Cranford, where we are now and you know where I live. This is a big asset because it is the last stop before buses get onto the parkway. And so New Jersey Transit buses will pull up and bus after bus will have 56 of 56 seats occupied. Um, so with Boxcar, if you have a reservation, you're guaranteed a seat. The difference continues once you get onto the bus. We have Wi-Fi, we have power outlets, we have a bathroom on board, and we have you know, chauffeured service. So if you need anything at all, you can talk to the chauffeur and he'll be able to assist you. Once you get into New York and you're going to take the express lane, just like all the other buses, we make multiple drop-offs that are very convenient for people who work on the east side of Manhattan. And these are historically difficult places to get for New Jerseyans. Um, so New Jersey commuters get into Penn Station Report Authority, and then they need to either take the subway or walk across town or take two subways or a taxi to get to their office north of Grand Central. Boxcar buses drop off at... Port Authority, Bryan Park, and then they go up Madison Avenue and they stop at 43rd, 47th, 52nd, and 57th. So for New Jersey commuters who don't have a way to get to the east side easily, it's they get on the bus right at their train station and they get off right outside their work. That's Madison, Chatham, Summit, Westfield, and Cranford all have boxcar bus service. Another thing, when you look at the operational difference between us and New Jersey Transit, we do not own buses. We don't hire drivers. We partner with charter bus companies that have these luxurious buses and well-trained drivers, and they typically don't use them in the early morning. And so we're able to say, listen, you know, you don't need this bus until 10 a.m. most days. What if you ran a very early route for us? They love it because it's guaranteed revenue. And, you know, for us, we get a very good rate. Savings we're able to pass on to our customers. And, uh, it's a very symbiotic relationship. So we get to be very good at customer service and providing transportation for people. And, you know, the bus company gets to worry about their drivers and the DOT inspections and all the stuff that they're really good at. Now, you mentioned going in in the morning. Of course, people have to come home at <laughs> night. Hopefully, they get a chance to come home at night. Is it basically just the reverse for the uh, afternoon commute? We, we wish. Uh, there's a lot of things that work really well for us in the morning that work against us in the evening. We have an express bus lane in the morning, so if there's a delay at the Lincoln Tunnel, we fly right through. We don't have a lot of traffic on 42nd or Madison Avenue in the morning. Uh, those are clogged arteries in the evening. And so in the evening, we have nothing. Uh, we are giving New Jersey Transit more customers, um, which hopefully they appreciate. And we are just hands off. You know, at, at the end of the day, also, we talked about how these are not our buses. These are charter buses. They do get used during the day. Uh, and so it would be much more expensive for us to get those buses to come home. Um, so it is not a full transit network by any means. It's a great way to start your day for the commuters who take us. Uh, they get to go 
you know, in a stress-free way all the way to their office. But so far, we've tried a number of variations on the evening service, and none of them have really been like uh, wildfire. With the service that you do provide, it's only a couple of years old, I believe. 2017 was when you started the service, right? Right. So we started our parking business, uh, which is our main business in 2016. And we started the bus service in June of 2017. And it was a response to the quote unquote summer of hell uh, from New Jersey Transit. And it was during that summer that New Jersey Transit kind of cut off access to New York City from the Morris and Essex line. And they diverted all of those morning trains and evening trains to Hoboken. Uh, so we saw this opportunity to kind of like test this idea that, you know, I'd always aspired to, you know, provide something more than just parking. And we partnered with towns, we partnered with bus companies, and we got this makeshift network off the ground in about three weeks. So that by the first day of the diversion to Hoboken, we were running seven buses from seven towns. You talked about the parking side of the business. That's where you started, as you mentioned, these towns that do have train service going into New York City and bus service usually quite difficult getting a space in the lots that surround the train stations. What have you done with that? Our main business is helping people access existing public transit and Cranford, Westfield, Chatham summit, you know, all this whole area uh, of New Jersey, as well as Long Island, Westchester County, uh, basically the suburbs of what we call the six legacy transit cities, New York, Boston, Philly, Chicago, DC, San Francisco, these towns grew up around transit networks. And so there's an overlapping business district and commuter district. And so as a result, there's very little infrastructure for parking uh, because historically you, people would walk to the train station. Uh, these towns are all around two, three square miles at most. And so this has gotten really exacerbated in the last few years as towns have developed the suburban population has grown. Prices for living in New York have increased. So it's leading to this large exodus from both the city as well as the rural area. And it's leading to this surge in transit-oriented community population. So, you know, when I grew up in Cranford, you would put your name on a, a wait list for a parking permit. And a year later, you would have a parking permit. Now that's roughly two, two to three years. Town over from us, Westfield, it takes seven years from when you move to town to be able to get a parking permit to park at the train station. And this is a problem kind of all over the suburbs in America and transit cities. So what we do is we partner with nearby property owners, a picture like a church, a funeral home, somebody who doesn't need their parking Monday through Friday, and kind of like Airbnb, we make that available in our app. And so for a commuter, they can download our app, they can reserve a spot in 30 towns in New Jersey, and they have a guaranteed spot that day. Our average spot goes for $6.00. And we give 75% of that money to the property owner. So we give tens of thousands of dollars every month to churches. Uh, they're able to monetize their assets. The town loves it because uh, we're freeing up more commuter parking and zero cost to the town. And of course, commuters love it. I want to emphasize that point because I think it, that could certainly be misunderstood by someone that this is not necessarily something I have to have a long-term commitment for that I can... If I have the app, reserve the spot for that day, say I have a meeting in the city, and not have to use it the rest of the month necessarily. Right. Yeah, we've had uh, about 5,000 customers in the last year, but only about 1,500 to 2,000 a month. And so a lot of people use us just when they go in for a show or when they're going in once in a while. And when you download our app, you can look at all of our locations. Even though you live in Cranford, you could choose to reserve a parking spot in Summit. You can reserve up to two weeks in advance. So you could 
park in St. Teresa's and Summit for $6 a day, or you could park at the Alliance Church parking lot in Cranford for four. Um, you choose exactly where you want to park, what days, and then you're guaranteed a spot. You can cancel up until the day of. Where did the concept for this come about? This was uh, one of these ideas that had just kicked around my head for a while. And I always wondered whether it would work and came back to Cranford after moving. You know, I, I grew up in Cranford, moved away, came back 11 years later. And the problem with commuter parking had not improved, even though we had built Cranford Crossing. Uh, it seemed like we had added inventory. And yet there was still this long wait list for Cranford parking. So I started off by renting out my driveway. Honestly, I lived on Grove Street at the time. And I was able to find somebody to rent it for a dollar a day. And I said, all right, I'm going to keep on experimenting, see if this actually works. Um, so I got some more parking spots in Cranford, Westfield, Chatham, some and a few other towns. I did not build an app. I had no technology. I had a spreadsheet and email and I handed out flyers at the train station. I got people to give me their email addresses and I followed up with them, got enough people to be interested in this that I launched a weekly email list on Tuesdays. I would ask people what spots they wanted the next week. They said, oh, I want the Alliance Church, or I want the First United Methodist Church in Westfield Tuesday and Thursday. So I'd say, that's great. That's $7 a day. I'm going to bill you $14. Manually charge their credit card or go pick up a check from them once a month for the days they used. And it was only once I had about 40 to 50 parkings a day that I said, all right, this is a real business. I can confidently leave my job. I can build an app, and I can you know turn this into my full-time operation. Were you a commuter yourself before you went into this full-time? I had a bit of an interest. I mean, my commute was to D.C., so I, I had a very different commute than most people. But my wife uh, is a commuter into New York, and so she's faced a lot of those problems, obstacles, and, and she's been a great informant for ways that I can improve people's mornings. You talked about the New Jersey towns that you're in, but you're also in, in other areas, aren't you? Actually, our biggest town is New Canaan, Connecticut. And the reason that's our biggest town is because we, we approached them in January of last year. And we saw a news article, New Canaan's planning to build a $12 million parking deck. But okay, that's, that's fair. You know, they've got a seven year wait list for parking. So why not build a parking deck? But all the same, we called them up and, and we talked to the, you know, the first selectman, which is what they call mayors up in Connecticut. And we said, you know, your goal is to get 225 spots for your town. And right now you're planning to spend $12 million to do that. We think we might be able to get almost all of those parking spots for free by partnering with the church, the shop, right? A couple other locations. And so, you know, give it a shot. So by partnering with the town, we were able to bring on 60, what is now over 120 parking spots. And last September they canceled their parking deck. So, you know, not only did we save the town money today, we helped maintain what I always tell towns is, do you really want to be the last town to build a parking deck, right? Like, I don't know whether self-driving cars are two years away or 20 years away or 30 years away. But at some point between ride sharing and self-driving cars, we're going to enter an age where we look at a lot of these parking structures and we're like, what were we thinking? What are we going to do with these? You know, we don't need these parking structures anymore because after my car drops me off, it goes back home or it goes in and picks someone else someone else up. So if we can be that sort of bridge to a future where we don't have to worry about long parking wait lists and clogging up our downtowns with all these cars that just sit there all day and maybe repurpose those spaces, that's that's enough for me. You mentioned commuting to Washington, D.C. I would imagine you were probably pretty familiar with, with Amtrak, yes. uh, among other modes of transportation. But tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, what were you doing before you started playing around with this idea? What field were you working in? 
grew up in Cranford, went to UC Berkeley on a Naval ROTC scholarship, graduated, got commissioned into the Navy, went to San Diego, did my four years in the Navy down in San Diego. I was on board the USS Germantown, one quick tour in Afghanistan near the end of it. Met my wife, um, who's also Navy in Korea, uh, when we were both deployed there for a short time. And we both got out of the Navy in 2011. Uh, my wife went to law school in D.C., so we moved there for three years. I worked a couple of different jobs. I did consulting, and I worked at a startup, and then finally I ended up at Consumers Research, which is, which is the nonprofit that I worked at for three years after that. So Consumers Research took me from 2013 to 2017, and I left that in March of 2017 as their president and executive director. It was the nation's oldest consumer organization founded in 1929 to represent the interests of consumers. It was a predecessor to Consumer Reports. Uh, so I left them in March of 2017, started doing boxcar full-time. Along the way, I started a brewery, which is still going pretty well in San Diego, you know, not involved on a day-to-day basis of that. So I guess I've, I've done a lot of things. None of them gave me like the subject matter expertise to attack big transportation problems. Transportation is just like a love of mine, a hobby of mine. But I think everything that I've done has like, whether the Navy, you know, I did lots of logistics stuff in the Navy, having to plan missions in Afghanistan, as well as coordinate ship movements when we were doing floats or, you know, the meadery, which I've had, which is a brewery that makes mead, you know, which I had to something build from scratch, had to learn how to do business, how to do marketing, get sales, uh, firing on all cylinders or consumers research, which taught me a lot. I did a lot of interacting with policymakers, you know, Senate, Congress, regulators, legislators. And so all these things, you know, I think they taught me enough about like problem solving and how to give people what they want, that when I was able to marry that with my just my love of transit and transportation, boxcar something that uh, was was born out of that. And it's been a great three years. You talked about serving on the Germantown. Tell me a little bit about that ship. What kind of a ship was it? So Germantown was an amphib, and amphibious ships carry Marines overseas. You know, not a lot in, t- in terms of, like, the guided missiles that are going to go take out sophisticated targets, but we are able to get very close to shore. We would lower ourselves down, and we would have all these amphibious craft inside of our hull. So then we would flood the inside of our ship. The Marines would be on those amphibious crafts, and they would hit the beach. We couldn't do that alone. And so we had to coordinate our movements with a dozen other ships all the time you know, coordinate to the second and to the minute, you know, lowering our ballast, uh, ballasting down, opening up and, and making sure that our Marines are leaving at exactly the right time so that the beach has been hit proverbially. We weren't actually amphibious assaulting anyone, but but we were doing these exercises, right? And so you have to make sure that the Marines are out um, hitting the beach at the right time if we were ever to do that. Being an entrepreneur, you learn a lot of things. What are some of the lessons that you've learned being an entrepreneur with Boxcar? I think entrepreneurship is very misunderstood or business maybe in general. I think people think about business and they say that, oh, that person's good at business because whether they're hard-nosed or uh, they have great ideas. Nothing has served me better in business than just like being willing and able to solve problems. And it's everything from like your business isn't registered properly. You need to find the right forms or hire a lawyer to like solve those problems or like your customers are having issues. And, and and so there is no skill called business, I would say like the like, it's your willingness to solve problems on a day to day basis, and just keep on solving them. If you have a product that people like, that's pretty much all that you need in order to succeed. So I, you know, I could say a lot of like trite things like the, well, the customer's always right, or 
get traction and keep with it. But I think it's really just, that's one thing that, that separates a, a, a decent business from a great business is that they're, they're the people who are part of that business are just constantly solving the problems because that's all businesses. It's just problems, problems, problems. <laughs> and I would imagine you've come a long way, obviously, from the days of the spreadsheet on your kitchen table to, yeah. to what you're doing now. You have other people that you're working with. We have a, a small team, four person team, and you know, two of them are salespeople that we hired recently. Our, our main bottleneck is we always need more parking. So it's actually not hard. Our sales process is not finding people to pay us for the parking because in a town like Cranford, there's a, a lot of people that need parking. So our sales process is actually convincing people to rent out their parking through boxcar. It's not the easiest. It's not the hardest either. You know, you're not asking people to spend money with you. You're just trying to wave a check in their face and say, please let us give you money um, for your parking. And, but it's still a bit of a process. So we're a small team, you know, I started this as a startup thinking that I would take funding and grow real fast and take funding and grow more and just constantly lose money. I don't want to do that. So uh, it's a great business and it feels like play what I'm doing. Uh, it's super fun and it's of great value, not just to me, but to the people that we serve. And so if we disappeared tomorrow, I think that the region would be a worse place for that. And so as a result, I really want to focus on just obtaining profitability, which hopefully in the next two or three months is something that we have in our rear view mirror and, you know, staying profitable. And then I don't really have any major goals other than make sure that I can, I can grow, partner with the right people, be a good partner to them, serve our customers well, and, you know, get to do this for a long time. And one final question, the name, I joked at the beginning, we're not talking about freight trains, boxcar, obviously there is a transportation connection, but People aren't traveling in boxcars. How did you come up with the name? I love trains. And for some reason, boxcar had this sort of, uh, it was very like versatile. It was not necessary. It wasn't taken by any operating, currently operating companies. And, you know, it evokes some of the, you know, the whimsical nature of whether well, it's like hobos crossing America or, you know, being able to put anything in, you know, anything comes out of a boxcar, goes into a Wells Fargo wagon. And at the end of the day, we are not yet a train company. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have any railroads yet. Uh, I'll, qual I'll qualify that. But uh, we are a car company, and you know we do put cars into boxes uh, if you're looking at it from an aerial view. So there is that uh, double, double entendre, so to speak. And for those who want to learn more about Boxcar, where can they go? Our website is boxcarapp.com, B-O-X-C-A-R-A-P-P.com. Twitter is Boxcar Transit, Instagram is Boxcar Transit, and they should give us a call, 908-485-PARK. That's 908-485-7275. And we really pride ourselves on making sure that even if somebody doesn't have a smartphone, we're going to be able to help them. Even if somebody isn't comfortable with technology, we're going to be able to help them. Anyone can call us with any commuting question. And if we don't have parking or a bus in their area, you know, we can at least use the accrued knowledge that we've obtained and help them improve their commute, improve their lives, and hopefully orient themselves towards more you know, mass transit. We've been talking today with Joe Colangelo. He is the CEO and the founder of Boxcar. Joe, thanks so much for your time. Bernie, it's been a long time coming, and it was a real pleasure. Thanks for coming over.